0: Thank you. A prayer. Open my mouth, Lord, that I may speak your word faithfully. Open all our hearts, Lord, and our ears, that we may hear what you're saying to us this morning. And open our eyes, Lord, that we may see with your eyes, for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. A friend sent me a text yesterday and it quoted the Archbishop of York who mentioned football briefly when he addressed the General Synod. Uh, He'd turned to the Old Testament for insight regarding tonight's Euro final. And he writes, and I quote, and on that subject and mindful of a date that most of us will have in our diaries on Sunday evening, I have turned to the scripture for help where I find encouragingly at Ezekiel 40, verse 28, these words. He brought me to the inner court, that is to the prize and victory we long for, by the south gate. <laughs> this, surely, he said, is the inspiration that we're looking for as a nation. <laughs> I thought that was a nice one, Bishop Stephen. And I have to say that I do admire St. Gareth Southgate, he's managed to put behind him that missed penalty in 1996 and become totally focused on building up the England squad, equipping them as best he can for the Euros tournament, and let's hope for a win. But imagine being an England manager with a whole nation of experts who think they know what's best. But Gareth has kept to his game plan. He's not been swayed by the pundits, the gossip, or the public pressure. He's done what he believes is right and not what is easy. And that quality we can see in John the Baptist featured in today's reading. Now, John was a Jewish prophet. He was the second cousin of Jesus. Uh, He had become a forerunner to Jesus, and was very significant in all of the Gospels. He preached that God's kingdom was imminently coming, and he spoke of divine judgment and the need for repentance and to prepare for that coming kingdom. John the Baptist lived and preached, as we know, in the wilderness, clothed with camel hair, surviving on locusts and wild honey. And unlike Jesus... He expected people to come to him out in the wilderness rather than going out to them. And John wasn't a people pleaser or a crowd pleaser either. He felt that he must confront religious hypocrisy, challenge people where it was needed. And in our gospel reading today, he didn't hesitate to challenge the king, Herod. John believed that it was unlawful and wrong for Herod to marry his brother's wife, Herodias. And that didn't go down well with Herodias. In fact, she became really angry and she bore a grudge against him. She wanted to kill him out of her own self-interest and hate. And John became her thorn in the flesh that she wanted extracted. So this rather eccentric character of John the Baptist is an example of humility holiness and obedience because in response to all this he did what was right and not what was easy Herod, it could be argued, does the opposite the king respects John he knows that he's a holy man, he liked listening to him speak as well, although I often found him very puzzling But Herod also feared him as a prophet, so much so that he put him in prison, wondering whether it was going to affect his kingdom. The passage shows Herod's insecurity, for he was troubled by his conscience when he heard all that Jesus' disciples were doing. What's more, we read that when he was at a party, with all these important people and military folk there, Herod rashly makes a promise to his stepdaughter, Salome, as Josephus identified her in his writing. And Salome had pleased him with her dancing. Now, traditionally, if you look at art, Salome is often portrayed as a temptress. But she was actually probably just a minor, exploited, possibly even abused in the royal household. And it's very complicated, you see, because her dancing that so pleased Herod, her stepfather, uh, he was also her uncle. So whatever was going on, uh, it wasn't quite right. But the king promises her anything that she wants because of her dancing. But on her mother's advice, remember how she bore that grudge? She says, rather than take half the kingdom, let's have John the Baptist said on a plate. And this causes a problem then for the king. You see, the conflicting desires that he had, you see, he doesn't want to kill John, but he caves in and chooses to save face in front of all those military people because, of course, he'd made a promise in front of his guests that he would give whatever she wanted, and he didn't want to back down from that. That would have made him seem weak rather than a king who can do whatever he wants. But actually, he wasn't doing what he really wanted to do. And it demonstrates him as a pathetically limp leader. I'm reminded of Pilate washing his hands of Jesus, handing, them over, uh, handing Jesus over to the crowd And here the king, in a sense, is wanting a quiet life. That's what they want, that's what they can have, nothing to do with me. Yet this led to the king's downfall and to the death of John. Doing the right thing is often costly. And John the Baptist here, who did the right thing, and in the end loses his head because of it, was a mark of what Christian integrity should be all about. Now, we need to exercise integrity always with love and with grace. But it may be at times that we disagree with one another over what is right. But what we have to do is decide what the audience of one is all about. What matters before God, not other people and the pressures and all the rest, before God. And we need to ensure that we're really listening to what God is saying to us. This is actually the only account in Mark's gospel that doesn't have Jesus and his disciples as the key focus. Mark departs from his usual uh, fast-paced writing, and in this reading Uh, we have a much longer narrative and and a more reflective recap on something that had happened earlier. So why does Mark include this in his gospel? It seems uncharacteristic in some senses. Well, perhaps it was really important because Mark was preparing his readers for persecution. John was prepared to face suffering and even death. For what he believed in, I find it interesting that verse twenty-nine actually does have perhaps this is the echo uh, of uh, Jesus's ministry that seems to be missing, uh, but it does have an echo. Listen to this: On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Hear the kind of the overtones of what was going to happen to Jesus. Here, the forerunner of Jesus. Isn't it unsurprising that he should die as Jesus gave his life for us too? You see, John the Baptist lost his life because of his obedience to his calling. When you think of us, so often we're more concerned about saving face rather than losing our heads over what is true, right and just. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and to follow Him. And yet, when we do that, it's so easy, if we're honest, to be swept along by popular opinion, to accept what others are saying without question. It's very easy to be influenced by gospel, uh, gossip, sorry, or social pressure. Or on the other side, stick to what we've always believed without actually thinking about it. What we need to do as an individual or as a church is to tease out what is God saying to us today? What is the Spirit saying? We have to reflect, we have to be open, we have to test. And in my own ministry, I know how it's so tempting to listen to what other people say it's so tempting to be a people pleaser. Just give people what you want, they want. It's a quiet life. <laughs> but I've learned to my cost that that's not honoring to God. It takes courage not to be pushed to do what's popular, but to remain true to all that flows from what is a right relationship with the Lord. So the important thing is to have that right relationship. And that's what John did. He had a right relationship with his God and he remained true to what God was calling him to. I remember once being contacted by a television company. Uh, They wanted me to appear on their show to be part of a debate. And I said, yes, of course, I've got a good face for radio, but I thought on this occasion I might actually have a go at television. But later they withdrew their invitation. They wanted, that's not because they saw my face, but they wanted to know before the debate which side I was going to take. But you see, the issue was actually a complex one. It wasn't clear-cut, right on that side, wrong on that side. And to be true to myself, I needed to point out that there were actually grey areas. The problem is that's not what they wanted. They wanted a sensational program with ministers on each side disagreeing with each other. But actually sometimes the truth isn't clearly, perhaps one side or another. We have to discern what it is God's saying to us and then remain true to what he says to you, not just what other people want you to do. One of the things I would encourage you to do, whatever the issue is, is take time before you're quickly asked to sign up to take sides. Be careful that somebody isn't creating polar opposites, fanning the flames, because that's how the devil divides us. We need to be clear. Yes, when we hear from the Lord, let's be obedient. But let's make sure that we're being, listening people that we accept that actually sometimes there is nuances in some debates. And let's remember how Jesus drew circles in the sand uh, when others were wanting him to actually come down hard. You see, Jesus had the wisdom to know how to respond and what to say. And I think there is a battle in the world between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And what we need to do is to discern in our own discipleship what is about the kingdom of God. Pray for our leaders that they may have discernment. Pray for our politicians that their integrity may be over and above the party line. Isn't it refreshing when sometimes an MP will vote against their party because actually in their heart of hearts they can do no other. That's what we want, people of integrity. Now, I started uh, this address uh, with quoting the Bishop of York from the Old Testament. Uh, He's quoting the Old Testament. I now want to quote another piece of the Old Testament, nothing to do with football, but this is from 1 Kings 3, verses 7 to 10. It's from the New Living Translation. Listen to the difference here between another king and to how King Herod behaved. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. Now we may not all be kings. (laughs) We're not (laughs) like Herod Solomon. But it's my hope that like Solomon we will all be given understanding hearts that after much prayer and seeking the Lord, that right relationship with God, we will be able to discern what is right in our generation and that we will do what is right rather than do what is easy. You see, the aim is to reap eternal blessings rather than short-term benefits. So I want to close with a prayer And it's a prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola. So will you pray with me? Teach us, Lord God, to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labour and not to ask for any reward. Save that of knowing that we do your will, amen.